Aussies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Oh, I got some debunking today. You're going to bunk and debunk. I love it. I'm going to bunk and debunk and... I'm doing a Supernatural episode. Heck yes! Wait, are we doing an Allegedly moment again? Oh, there's some Allegedly's <laughs> that are going to be happening. Allegedly, okay. Allegedly. Have that Allegedly button ready. Um, I know I haven't gotten to do like a, a full-on Supernatural one for a while. It's been a like, minute. I, I've done a couple, I think that were adjacent to some true crimes or some mysteries that had a ghostly element, but like... It's been a bit before I've gone like balls to the wall ghosts. Is that going to be our hashtag for this episode? Balls to the wall ghosts. Okay. Well, no, what's kind of cool is so our topic today, I believe, <clears throat> is the first honest to goodness paranormal case I remember learning about. Oh. Like as a kid. Cool. I had this book of like weird stories, unexplained stuff. I had a couple of them, but I had one specifically. I remember one of my first ones and uh, it told this story about a very famous photograph that was taken at a place called Raynham Hall. So today we're going to be talking about Raynham Hall and the brown lady. Do you, are you familiar with this case at all? Does it ring a bell? No, actually. And this is why I'm very excited to hear about it. But I feel like maybe if I hear more, I might recognize it. I think it will. And when I have you take a look at the picture specifically we're going to be talking about, because this is one of the most famous paranormal photos. Oh. Like, it's up there with one of the OG Loch Ness photos. Okay, okay. But much like that uh, Loch Ness photo, there are some doubts about its authenticity. Would you say that some people doubt it? Like Kim? Oh my God. Doubt it? <laughs> doubt it? You know how many people used to say that to me in high school? <laughs> it's Kim, doubt it! Or just doof it. I used to get that one a lot. Just there was a kid. Tyler Ramirez. No, it was this kid, Tyler Ramirez. Uh, and he used to say, just doof it! Yep. I love that fun fact. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> I, I felt like something you would like. You would, you would have, he was a nice guy. You'd appreciate his puns. I do like puns. Uh, Tyler, on the off chance you're listening, hi, hope you're well. He's not listening. <laughs> thank you for the puns. <laughs> yes, thank you for the puns. Anyway, okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. Raynham Hall is located in West Norfolk in the UK. Uh, it's an old, old building. Uh, It's beautiful. Construction started in 1619 by Sir Roger Townsend. And it was modernized like a hundred years after, um, which I think is kind of funny. Like in what way modernized? Some of the architecture, I think. Uh, It was was the 1700s when it was when it was modernized, but like it was the 1700s when it was modernized, but um, I think the property has stayed very much the same sense. It's an impressive piece of architecture. We'll put some pictures on our Instagram or, you know, like, yo got Google. <laughs> Google's a fun curious. time. Go wild. Google's the best. Google and I are besties. Uh, it is one of the oldest buildings in Norfolk, which I do think is pretty cool. Now, the history of some of the people who have lived there, 
this is very much in our legend and speculation. Like, not that these people live there, but the details about their life that we're going to be talking about. Okay. Um, I mean, like, again, we say this over and over and over again. Anytime we're dealing with a case that goes this far back, it's a lot of speculation. It's a lot of legend lore and a giant game of telephone that's people have passed down stories for 400 years. Right. So as the story goes, Dorothy Walpole was in love with Charles Townsend when they were young. She was born in 1686 and was one of 19 children. Holy shit. Are you serious? Yeah. Yep. That was, I mean, I hate to say that was common then, but it was actually pretty common then. Yikes. Bach had like 20 kids, something like that. I don't know. Dang. Yeah. Right. But no, thank you, octopus. Uh, she was the sister of Sir Robert Walpole, who was prime minister. He was one of the first prime ministers. So that's kind of cool. Nice. Um, Charles was from a wealthy family and her father was his guardian and would not let the two of them get married because he didn't want it to appear as though he was trying to get some kind of advantage or political advantage by having them marry. Okay. Which like, all right, do you do you boo. Uh, he would marry another woman. And this other woman would die in 1711. Okay. Dorothy and Charles married in 1713 when Dorothy was 26. According to one story, Dorothy would proclaim that, quote, no breath of scandal was associated with her name. Oh. I know. Good, good for you, girl. Also, just the way you read that was just like chef's kiss. Just I really thank nice. You. Thank you. <laughs> Went to a lot of student debt to be able to do that. <laughs> uh, so they they lived together uh, at Raynham Hall and had either five or seven children. I saw both numbers referenced. So what may have happened is that she had seven, but only five survived childhood. That was kind of my speculation on it. That makes sense. Allegedly. Allegedly. While Charles was still married to his first wife, Dorothy had some sort of romance with another man. Uh-oh. Named Lord Walton. Ooh. That's a great name. But also, though, like, Charles, bro, you're married. So you can't really, you don't really get to have a say in what Dorothy was doing. Uh, allegedly. Allegedly. Charles learned about the affair and went into a rage. Uh, oh. A few accounts suggested that the affair <clears throat> had continued into Dorothy and Charles' marriage. But Wharton died in 1715. So probably not. <laughs> Details. Unless it was a ghost. Which, hey. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. It wouldn't be the first. Maybe it was the first time, though, because that was a while was. ago. <laughs> that was. That was. This was the 1700s. There were accounts that Charles was horribly abusive. Oh, no. Uh, but here's the thing. I lacked any credible source for this outside of stories that were reprinted, you know, hundreds of years later. And that's sort of where I sit with a lot of this. I'm not saying he was, I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm saying we literally do not know. Okay. There is no evidence. 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 Ooh, that was nice and in sync what we did there. Uh, according to some of these stories, he locked her in her room in 1825 and kept the children from her. Oh no. And the grief of all of this had her dying of a broken heart. Or enraged. Charles pushed her down the stairs, killing her. Those or are, those are two wait, very different things. But wait, there's more. Oh, jeez. Or <laughs> oh. 
He confined her to the house and told everyone she died, going as far as to hold a fake funeral, but she roamed the halls with a lantern for the next year, completely alone. Which I have to say, this was the hardest for me to believe, because, like, okay, was he still living there? Were the kids still there? Like, if he locked her in a room... Okay, fine. I'm here for that. You can lock somebody in a room. But, like, this is a big-ass house. So unless he's following her around 24-7, she could just leave. <laughs> and there's, like, servants who would see her and be like, okay, you're not dead. <laughs> uh, so that's just lazy storytelling. This is a big-ass manor. He can't keep track of her if he's letting her just wander around. Oh, these uh, details really are really, really, really good. Thank you. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, Oh, wait, wait. My favorite version was that she died of syphilis that she got from Lord Wharton. Oh, that's just bitter. (laughs) I know, right? That kind of reeks of just (laughs) somebody didn't like her. Uh, The official story is she died in 1726 of smallpox, which is probably what happened. That's what actually happened. Then everyone else just wants to make a fun story. Yes. Uh, She was buried at the church on the property. I, I'm going with smallpox. What about you? Uh, yeah, I, I would. I would agree. I think that <laughs> that would probably be the most logical explanation. However, not the most fun one. So I get not it. the most fun. No, you're right. And that not the most fun at all. There were some documents that were found <clears throat> in the 1960s that suggested she had uh, had a very like happy life and loved her family and they loved her. So this is I kind of lean in the I think a lot of these additional parts of the story were tacked on after the fact. Um, And it's very, it's also very possible. Like she did have some kind of romance with Lord Wharton, the guy she was in love with married another woman. So yeah, she started another relationship and then, you know, Charles's first wife died and, and she had her chance and she took it. So I don't know. Again, we don't know. This is all speculation. But uh, I mean, like their last kid was born in 1724. And if she died in 1726, things couldn't have been like that bad, that bad. <laughs> you never uh, know. You never know. I, I, I think this is something. This is another case of like trying to make a haunting more interesting by making it more tragic. OK, I can see that. Because like, I guess, you know, and the ghost lived a very happy life and then died there's there's no drama there. It maybe isn't the most interesting. It's a lot more interesting to think, you know, she died because her husband pushed her down the stairs. And she has unfinished business, so she's hanging around. And she's haunted by it, or she's angry and she's vengeful. We, who doesn't love a good vengeful ghost? It just is funny to me if someone has, like, finished business, is totally fine, but then is, like, pissed off in their afterlife and wants to hang around. <laughs> and And press save on that thought. Okay, okay. Because I have a few doubts of my own that I we're gonna we're gonna circle back to later. Okay. Holding. Because it would be a couple decades before the story really got going. The first recorded story I could find of this ghost was 1786. Huh. Which is 60 years after Dorothy's death. Okay. George Townsend, grandson to Charles and Dorothy, moved into the estate. Uh, He used to throw parties and would try to call for Dorothy's ghost. Oh, fun. Rumors started flying that she would appear with a lantern walking down the hallway. And she was always seen wearing a brown dress. So she started being referred to 
as the brown lady. Kind of has other implications. Not going to lie. It, <laughs> no, it doesn't. I know. And that's, that's, there is a painting of Lady Dorothy, a portrait of her. And in the portrait, she is wearing a brown dress. Okay. And that's it. That's the reason. Okay. She's wearing a brown dress. You can see, I mean, yeah, we'll, well, we can put pictures. I, she had multiple portraits of herself in the house, but there was a very distinct one of her wearing a brown dress. That's it. That's the reason. <laughs> uh, but that's where I'm kind of like, okay, so this must have been a very detailed apparition you're seeing because you're able to determine the color of her outfit is a brown dress. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, did something of note. Food for thought. In eight, food for thought. In 1815, George the Fourth, future King of England, stayed at Raynham Hall. He went to bed only to be awoken by the specter of a woman in a brown dress. Uh oh. At the end of the bed, he is quoted as saying, "I will not spend another hour in this accursed house for tonight. I have seen that which I hope to God I never see again." I just really like these reenactments. I do. <laughs> <laughs> so this is fun for me. Okay. Besides, I have a lot of quotes in here. I have to make them all special. I'm for it. I support this decision. <laughs> I also, I love the difference. Like, this is a normal person's reaction to a ghost is, you know what? I don't want to stay here. Ghost hunters would have been like, hey, can you, can you let me see you? I'll bring you cookies. Can you? <gasps> Can you come out now? Ectoplasm. Ectoplasm, please. <laughs> They're good cookies. Boo bear. Boo bear. Maybe some cake. <laughs> maybe. Uh, fast forward to Christmas of 1835. Colonel Loftus. Wow. <laughs> it's a great name. Great name. Arrived at the hall for a holiday with his family. He claims he saw the ghost of the brown lady on the stairs holding a lamp. He said she had dark holes. Where her eyes should be. <laughs> Your Wait, face. <laughs> dark holes or coals? Dark holes with an H. Okay. I'm like, eh, tomato, tomato. But eh, also, tomato. like, that visual. No. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> Not too long after this, a new lord and Lady Townsend moved in and redecorated the hall. New furniture was brought in. Some of the items in the hall were moved, including the picture of Dorothy in the brown dress. Uh-oh. It was moved to one of the bedrooms. Some of the servants started reporting they were seeing not just a woman in a brown dress, but they were specifically referring to her as Dorothy and oh. saying that's who we're seeing. The Based woman in the portrait, hmm. Dorothy. Yeah. Okay. Lord Townsend tells his friend, Captain Frederick Marriott, who also happened to be friends with Charles Dickens. Fun fact. Uh, Captain Frederick Marriott thought the whole story was a load of BS. So Frederick agrees to spend three nights in the room with the painting to try and debunk the story. Oh, you love him. You love him so much. No? We'll see. Okay. First night, he decides to put a pistol under his pillow for protection. (laughs) Wait, hold on. (laughs) Yeah. Not sure what that's going to do about a ghost, bro. <laughs> not, not much, friend. That, that's just yeah. self-comfort right there. <laughs> Live your best life, my dude. Uh, goes to bed, sleeps through the night, nothing. Second night, same thing, nothing. Third night, 
Uh-oh. Lord Townsend's nephew knocks on the door to show the captain a gun he just bought. <laughs> Fun. Uh, they look at each other's guns, which I'm sure is not a euphemism for anything. <laughs> the nephew's all, hey, man, let me come back with you in case the brown lady shows up, which is absolutely a euphemism for something. And <laughs> suddenly a woman appears at the end of the hall carrying a lamp. I'm going to let Captain Frederick's daughter, Florence, uh, give the rest of this account. Oh, do it in an accent. Do it in an accent. Yes. <laughs> I feel pressured. (laughs) The figure halted on its own accord before the door behind which my father stood and holding the lighted lamp. Sorry, I can't. (laughs) I love it so much. That can get super annoying if I do that the whole time. I don't do it the whole time, but that was so fun. Let me just take two. Hold on. The figure halted on its own accord before the door behind which my father stood, and holding the lighted lamp she carried to her features, grinned in a malicious and diabolical manner at him. This act so infuriated my father, who was anything but lamb-like in disposition, that he sprang into the corridor with a bound and discharged the revolver right in her face. The figure instantly disappeared, and the bullet passed through the outer door of the room on the opposite side of the corridor and lodged in the panel of the inner one. My father never attempted again to interfere with the brown lady of Raynham. Can I tell you what I think happened? (laughs) Absolutely. Broseph and nephew got drunk. Uh, Maybe they were looking at each other's pistols. Who knows? (laughs) Started firing off their pistols. And then needed to cover up why there was now a bullet lodged in the wall panel. (laughs) You know, that's a pretty legit explanation. Way to go, Scully. (laughs) I mean, again, I don't know. This is, I'm I'm speculating as well. It's just, (laughs) the whole thing is just so silly. This just makes me want to, like, think of excuses to, like, blame ghosts for issues. (laughs) I mean, let's face it. It's like when you're, you're, like, pet. Or, you know, like when you fart and you say the pet did. It's the ghost. The ghost It's the go- Or the ghost it's did ghost it. Fart. It's that. What's that? What's that smell? It must be a ghost. You know, things get smelly when ghosts are around. <laughs> it's like it's the ghost. It's like the ghost adventures. Not a ghost adventures, but the SNL the, episode. The parody. Yep. <laughs> parody. <laughs> With a burr. Oh, one, yeah. And South Park did it too, where they're like, oh, there's something warm running down my pant leg. <laughs> it's a ghost. <laughs> it's a ghost. All right, so do you remember I mentioned Charles Loftus? Yes. All right, we're going to circle back to him because Charles Loftus was uh, the brother of the current Lady Townsend, and she married into the family. So he was not a blood relation of the Townsends, but, like, you know, they were his in-laws, and they hung out a lot. He wrote memoirs called My Youth by Sea and Land from 1809 to 1816. Yes. And he went into more depth about some of his experiences with the brown lady, but he also shed a little bit of light on Lady Dorothy. Oh, okay. So he recalls a few different accounts of things happening in the 1840s and 50s. The book was not published or written until decades after the fact, and I want to make that very clear. Okay. He is accounting memories from decades ago. So how accurate can it be? Is that your point? It's, I'm just, I'm giving the people the context. Okay, 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 okay. 
he first notices something odd when he was walking about the house, reminiscing as one does. He went into one of the rooms that he claimed no one else in the family ever went into and noticed something. Quote, I found lying open on the table the account book of Lady Dorothy, the family ghost, as if she had but just left it there. At that time, no one but myself had access to that room, which was Lady Dorothy's morning room, where she had kept her account and cookery books and gave her orders. P.S. 2. I love that he calls her the family ghost, because like that makes it sound so cozy. Oh, for sure. I was just thinking the same thing. It's I want like, a family oh, ghost. I So do I. Like, it's like, oh, that's so cute. I guess that's Millie for me. It's my haunted doll. Or it's Nick Cage in the background with a weird eye reflection. <laughs> no, it's just my my joy, my pride and joy. Uh, so he goes on to explain a little bit about Dorothy. Lady Dorothy Walpole, whose full-length portrait hangs at Raynham in the dress in which she had so often there appeared, and who, in 1842 and 1844, caused such excitement among the inmates, visitors, and servants. The dress in which she is represented consists of a brown silk brocade spangled with gold. Uh, so... I thought this whole account was really interesting because he had another theory as to why Dorothy became a ghost. Oh, really? What was that? Two reasons were given by her family why she could not rest. One was that she was offended because her family had not been ennobled. And the other, that some of her husband's family possessed wealth to which she conceived herself entitled. Okay. Because I did read some references that, like, Lady Dorothy enjoyed her spending and at times overspent, and that that was maybe a little bit of a point of contention between her and her husband. That's fair. Which, like, you can be loving partners and still have squabbles about things like money. That's very normal. <laughs> very normal. Very normal. But what was interesting to me, and this is, again, this is Charles saying this is what the family at this time would say about her. Do you know what excuse is not given? What? Charles locking her up. Charles pushing her down the stairs. Any sort of marital problem. Which to me implies that that specific aspect of the story came around later. Which again, to me implies it is not based in fact. Question. Question. Do you think, potentially, that they didn't want to acknowledge that that might have happened? Oh, people loved gossip. But if it's your own family. But it wasn't. Wait, For okay, Charles, it was his in-laws. Oh, that's So right. if there was anyone who would have a... Re and this is also his memoirs he's writing decades later. He has no reason to sugarcoat it. Okay. There's no repute, and this is a, you know, Dorothy died a hundred and something years ago by the time he's telling these stories. Nobody's trying to protect anyone's reputation. Now, again, you could be correct. I am not saying that maybe yeah. this was, but it's interesting to me, like, he didn't have to talk about Dorothy in his memoirs. He didn't have to talk about the family ghost or even go into details about her. He could have been just like, oh, yeah, Lady Dorothy, she's the family ghost. It's cute. It's fun. Ha, ha, ha. But he specifically talks about his theory as to why she was a ghost. He didn't have to bring that up. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. So 
I, and again, it's, it's, it's me drawing conclusions the same way they potentially did. I am not saying I am correct. I, I just feel like it is very, very interesting that these very salacious rumors about the family and the, the rumor about Lord Wharton, that one, I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but we found evidence of that, like when Dorothy was still, you know, <laughs> alive and kicking. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it, it's just interesting to consider when looking at a story where you're like, this seems a little bit hard to believe. This for me reinforces why I'm having that feeling like the origins of that story are hard to believe. That makes sense. Um, so he references some incidents, one in 1842, and goes on to elaborate. It was, I think, in 1842 that one of the family, when at a large party at the hall one evening, dancing had suddenly been proposed, went upstairs to bring down her white gloves. As she ascended the stairs, she saw, looking down upon her, to her great terror, the well-known face and figure of Lady Dorothy. They regarded each other a moment or two, and then the latter slowly disappeared. When she reached the ballroom, looking very pale, whispers to her aunt, I have seen her. The next day, at a dinner party in the country, a lady said to me, Oh no, I shall not go to Raynham again to sleep to see Lady Dorothy walking about. Ooh. That's exciting. And I, I, well, I just love, I love accounts of, of the paranormal from from like the older accounts, the style and everything. The also like, my God, the run on sentences in these things, <laughs> trying to track some of the, the commas to get the inflection right. I'm like, shit, man, I have an easier time reading Shakespeare and getting the rhythm correct. But anyway, one evening, much later, the Lord of the house was in his library. Quote, he was startled by the most tremendous crash and the sound of a heavy footstep coming down the stairs, at the foot of which, on his rushing to the spot, he saw one of the large glasses of the lamp smashed to atoms, while one of his two tall footmen was coming down white as a sheet. So Lord of the Manor is just like, bro, did you do that? What was, are you making noise? Like, come on, man. It's exactly how he spoke. Just to, like that. Um, just like but that. But in a because, really long sentence. In a really long sentence. <laughs> and maybe mildly more British. And the footman responds. Oh, my lord, I have seen her. I have seen her. So Charles is all, oh, I'm going to catch a glimpse of her myself. So he stayed up late one night, saw a woman moving down the hall, follows her and like uh, surprises her. And turns out he surprised one of the servants. Oh, no. <laughs> like, she, like, threw a whole thing. It was a whole to-do. Sometime in the fall of 1855, three cousins were staying at Raynham. After a day of hunting, they're sitting around smoking, talking, uh, and then they're like, oh, all right, we got to go to bed. They grab some candles. They start to head up. Quote, Suddenly, more light shone down upon them from above, and looking up, they saw holding a lamp, an old lady in a brown silk brocade dress, spotted with gold, open lace at the bodice and sleeves, a yellow-white lace cap with fly pinners edged with lace pendants on each side, and either a muslin neckcloth with laced ends tied round her throat or lace from her cap pinned under her chin. 
At first, they thought her some old upper servant choosing to wear an old style of dress, but the yellow parchment color of her face and hands, the skinny arms, the hollow cheeks, the glazed, sunken eyes on which the light shone full, the indescribable expression of the features convinced them, as they stood gazing at her, that they were in the presence of a spirited visit, and they suddenly exclaimed, By heaven, it is Lady Dorothy. So dudes run upstairs, they're following her, and then she like waves at them and disappears. So I, I, have, I have some thoughts, I have some things. One, this is an insanely detailed description yeah. of not just the ghost, but like the details on her outfits and the <laughs> accessories. I was like, all right, you I all had, know your women's clothing. I was nice. going to say, I'm impressed with the men's knowledge of like placement of like pins and lace and oh, yeah. parchment. Like and what? very specific. Well, particularly because again, remembering this is all being recounted like decades after it happened. And I, I don't know why I find that so unbelievably funny that it's like, oh, yeah, we saw a ghost. And let me tell you all about her ensemble. <laughs> let me tell you how fancy this ghost was. She was so <laughs> fancy. She was the fanciest ghost on the planet. Um, Accessorizes <laughs> to the max. Very maximalist ghost. But, like, it is, it is probably the most detailed account I've seen of her appearance specifically. Yeah. Uh, there was a recorded sighting in 1903 and in 1918, the vicar who, who was like the local vicar, he wrote to another vicar that I have heard the children of people in the hall years ago asked who the brown lady was that came into their room frequently. That was my vicar voice. Did you like it? Oh, that was fun. I liked it. Yeah. Um, but this is a guy writing to another vicar being like, yeah, the kids say this lady comes into the room at night. Not creepy at all. Not creepy at all. Uh, this brings us to 1936 and to what is probably the most famous documented sighting oh. of the brown lady. Okay. Lady Townsend would write herself in 1936, quote, she was seen quite recently by my brother-in-law's sister and her daughter. Her last but one appearance was to no less a person than my son George, when, as a small boy, he and Walter Rothermull, a little American friend, met a lady on the staircase who not only frightened, but puzzled them. Hmm. Because, as George said, they could see the stairs through her. Ooh. Uh... Lady Townsend published a chapter in a book about the ghosts in her home cool. and made numerous statements about her belief that the house was haunted. Lady Townsend let two photographers, Indra Shira, who was supposedly a court photographer, and Captain Hubert Proverd. It's a great name. Really good name. Uh, into her home. Lady Townsend wouldn't allow them to stay overnight, but she said they could take some pictures during the day. Uh, Indra. His wife and Captain Proverd arrived the morning of September 19th, 1936. Immediately start walking around taking some pictures. By 4 p.m., they set the camera up in front of the staircase, allegedly the same one Dorothy was pushed down, if you believe that story. <clears throat> I personally do not. This is the account Indra Shira would give. Captain Proven took one photograph while I flashed the light. Take note of that. He flashed the light. 
He was focusing for another exposure. I was standing by his side, just behind the camera, with the flashlight pistol in my hand, looking directly up the staircase. All at once, I detected an ethereal veiled form coming slowly down the stairs. Rather excitedly, I called out sharply, Quick! Quick! There's something! I pressed the trigger of the flashing pistol. After the flash, and on closing the shutter, Captain Provond removed the focusing cloth from his head, and turning to me said, What's all the excitement about? I directed his attention to the staircase and explained that I had distinctly seen a figure there, transparent, so the steps were visible through the ethereal form, but nevertheless very definite and to me perfectly real. He laughed and said I must have imagined seeing a ghost there. There was nothing now to be seen. So Provind didn't really see anything and thought Shira was full of it. They left the house. Later in the dark room, they would see the now infamous photographs. Uh, and Gabby, if you would care to take a look at the photograph I sent you of our brown lady, we will be posting this picture Ooh. to Instagram. But again, y'all just like Google it. <laughs> it's one of the most famous pictures of a ghost there is. I don't think I've ever seen this picture before. <gasps> really? Which is bonkers to me because I, I love that. normally would have seen something that's that famous with all the things we look at all the time and things we're interested in. But I haven't seen that one and I just got like full body chills looking at that picture. I was going to say, I, I need the like <clears throat> the the because I've known about this picture for I mean, again, since I was a child. So I yeah. need the, like, Gabby, if this is your first impression, tell me what you think. Yes. Look okay. at the picture. Tell me what you think. It, it's what you would think a ghost would look like. <laughs> it's not a sheet with two eyes, right? Like, it's not that <laughs> type of ghost. But it is, like, almost drapey and, like, mm -hmm. mist-like in the shape of, it almost looks like a religious figure of, like, Mary. Press save on that. Okay. Press save on that. Okay. You, you've, you've stumbled onto something very interesting. Press save on that. Okay. Pressing save. But it also is just like in the middle of the staircase uh -huh. and you can see in, like entirely through it. But there's just like a, you can't see a face. You cannot see details of any accessories. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, like gold brocade no, lace caps. This or is anything. just like a drapey, misty, transparent figure that looks like it has almost like a head covering. And like there's the a form. shoulders. Yeah, there's a very distinct form yes. there. It's not, no one's going to look at this and be like, it's dust. <laughs> no, it looks like a person underneath like a veil of some sort. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this picture would appear in Country Life magazine. Okay. And the story would explode. Of course. Uh, you'll enjoy this next part. You know who did come out to briefly investigate? Ghost Adventures. Our old friend, Dr. Nandor Fodor. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I had to say Ghost Adventures, though. I love Ghost Adventures. I mean, they probably, they, well, actually, you know what? They may not have been at Raymond Hall. I don't know that Raymond Hall would let them in. Probably not. <laughs> no, they're pretty, like, classy. Also, it's a private residence, so. Um, no, Na Nandor Fodor, who also was apparently, though, friends with Lady Townsend. I mean, to me, that's not surprising because, like, networking was a big deal, you know, especially yeah. with, like, spiritualism going on and all that jazz. And she was very big into these. this house is haunted. Like, even before the photographers came by, she 
had spoken about experiences. She was very vocal in her belief. She'd written about it. Uh, but I, I do think that's interesting. He tried to yeah. recreate the photo. So um, I do want to say before we before I start to to um, politely scully uh, and some of the controversy. What are your thoughts in terms of like, are you just just first impression of looking at it of the picture? Of the picture. Are you like, yeah, this is a ghost. Or are you like, mm, I feel like this is a hoax. Um, well, being the molder that I am most of the sure. time, I like to mm-hmm. believe in the things. However, knowing what I know now, thank you, Scully. Um, and when I say now, I mean just like from doing this as long as we've been doing this. <laughs> uh, that it's probably superimposed in some way. Um but what makes me curious about how that would happen is within the technology that was provided at that time versus, like, things that people can, like, Photoshop these days, you know? So there's there's a few different theories. And, and one of them is obviously that it is a genuine photograph of a ghost. Sure. So that is, that is one piece of speculation. Um... Another of the more prevalent theories is that what we are looking at is a result of double exposure. Okay. Which is when two images are put together that give the illusion of something spooky. Uh, So that is a possibility because this is also when you had to have that, again, that slightly longer exposure. Mm -hmm. Now, recently... A man named Alan Murdy, who researches the paranormal, uh, found a manuscript that was conducted by our favorite, the Society for Psychical Research, cool. uh, shortly after the picture was taken. And according to their research, and this is a quote from the article I found on independent.com, quote, it concludes that there is almost certainly a mundane explanation for the spectral image in the photo. One of the things they were looking at is that there was evidence to suggest uh, light might have leaked onto the photographic plate. And that that being an accident, but that could create the illusion of a spirit. I, I understand why they... I, I understand why this is one of the theories. I think for me, it's too deliberate a photo, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's like trying to see Jesus on toast. Yeah, um... Uh, but but certainly one to take into consideration. Sure. Dr. Melvin Willen of the Society wrote that, quote, there appear to be inconsistencies in the photo on the stair rail. Which could suggest the photo had been tampered with by now by looking at the negative for the photo. It does not look like the photo itself was tampered with. So what else could make the banister look off? Well, <laughs> John Fairley and Simon Welfare wrote in Arthur C. Clarke's Chronicles of the Strange and Mysterious, quote, there is a pale line above each stair tread indicating that one picture has been superimposed over the other. A patch of reflected light at the top of the right-handed banister appears twice. So I read a bunch of articles by Joe Nickel, who is officially my favorite person. Uh, For those of you who are unfamiliar with him, Joe Nickel is all about Scully. He has a PhD 
He is a senior research fellow for the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, nice. which is a real thing, nice. and I love it. Uh, he's written a bunch of articles and books. He is a professional scully. Nice. He's written about the brown lady photograph a handful of times. One article he wrote, he theorized that the photo was staged and that it was a double exposure, which I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. but that the camera may have slightly shifted before they did the second exposure, which is why the banister has that irregularity to it. You expose the picture twice. You have, uh, I mean, like I use a similar technique when I'm trying to, for like some of the summer of horror films, when I need to have somebody disappear on screen, like you, you take, uh, a, a longer photo of just the blank space and you take a briefer moment of the person there and it gives this illusion of something kind of moving moving yeah. or, or misty like not opaque um that's kind of an imperfect explanation but you know uh i get it you you get what i'm trying yeah. to say now i read another theory and this is where i would come back around to one of the things you said about it looking vaguely religious because another theory is that an image of a virgin mary statue was used and then when you look at it you're like yeah i can see that yeah for sure. And this theory specifically gets more interesting to me because, one, Lady Townsend, who's quite religious herself, uh, thought the photo was not the brown lady, but the Virgin Mary. So she thought it was supernatural, just like a kind of a different vein. I'm not sure if that's going to make somebody mad. I didn't mean to <laughs> imply anything. Um, but what's funny... She was religious enough, she kept a chapel underneath that specific staircase. Huh. A chapel that had a Virgin Mary statue. Okay. Uh, This is reinforced by another expert, Tom Flynn, who argues that the photo couldn't have been a quick snapshot like it was claimed uh, and was not flash illuminated. So remember, specifically in that quote... Indra says the thing about the flash. Uh, Tom Flynn argues that it had to have been taken with natural light of the room, which requires a longer exposure on that kind of camera. Which, again, tracks with, with the time period we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And if, I don't have you seen some of those old-timey cameras where, like, you've got somebody who's under the thing and yeah. they have to take it off and you have to time it very specifically to get, mm-hmm. the, you know, just the right amount of light and exposure? Mm-hmm. Also, what is often glossed over is that there were three people visiting that day. Do you remember one of the people I mentioned? So we had the captain, we had Indra Shira, and we had one other person. I don't remember. Tell me. Indra Shira's wife. Okay. Who gets left out of the account pretty quickly. Where'd she go? Is she dressing up as Mary and posing for a picture? That's the question. Uh, it it kind of gets a little bit more interesting. I went down this rabbit hole of, of looking a little bit into Indra Shira, and Indra Shira may not have actually existed. It may have been a pseudonym uh, for a solicitor. Because oh. the address that was listed, a real address, like it was a real address with a real, you know, mailing uh mailbox whatever but it it was it was not to someone named indra so 
you do have to then circle back and be like, was this all a ploy to get exposure, to get money, to get whatever? Yeah. Um, And about a year prior, this is when Lady Townsend published a book of true ghost stories. And then conveniently, you have this picture taken. Uh, And I, I, I actually, I don't know that I believe Lady Dorothy was sorry, excuse me, Lady Townsend, uh, was in on it because she doesn't sound like the type. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the captain and Indra Shira did not reach out to her until after she'd had some published accounts of everything. So I do find that interesting. What do you think? I mean, it's hard to really say. I feel like it's, it's almost like they only wanted her account once she spoke up. Like, would she be a reliable source almost like until? Well, and she wasn't there when they caught the picture, which is a whole that's part of the point of like, is that a reliable source if she wasn't there when the picture was taken? And that according to their story, the captain also didn't see it. So it means the only person who directly saw the spirit is Indra. And how reliable is a source if only one person saw it? Well, it's also just kind of this idea of like, see, it can't be a hoax because if it was a hoax, we both would have. Do you know what I mean? That it's almost trying a little too hard to build a narrative. It's like, I understand building a narrative. What makes a story more compelling? A Mulder and a Scully. One person, I saw this thing. The other person, you're full of it. And then they develop this picture. Mm-hmm. And they both can't believe it. That's a more interesting story than both of them saw something, hurried home, and developed a picture. That's true. Because you, you have conflict. You have drama already because one of them has seen this amazing thing. Why didn't you see it too? Oh, man. Come on. It's been a long day. Don't be like that. That's drama. Publicity. I've, publicity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so... Looking back at, at Dorothy, because I did try a bit to, to try to trace a little bit more of her history, and the most I could find was a letter that Lady Mary Wortley Montague, ooh, yeah, right, wrote about Robert Walpole, um, Dorothy's brother, so was referencing her in this letter. And this bit says he had a very handsome sister whose folly had lost her reputation in London, but yet the greater folly of Lord Townsend had occasioned his being drawn in to marry her. It's a lot of fancy words. Basically what she's saying here is that like the town, the the prime minister had this like sister who was very good looking, but she lost her reputation in London, which is that allusion to her having an affair with Lord Wharton. But the biggest fool of them all is Lord Townsend. Because he then married her. But that's it. That's what I could find in regards to anyone referencing any kind of rumor having to do with Dorothy prior to this more contemporary story that we're getting later on. So it doesn't seem as legit as it could be. Well, and again, it's not even saying anything about their marriage. It's referencing <clears throat> gossip about her potentially having some kind of affair with Lord Wharton prior to marrying Lord Townsend. Which is like old news. It's old news. And it's also like, I don't know, maybe when they got married, she's like, listen, bro, you're married to somebody else. And I liked this guy. And yeah, we had a little fun. But like, I love you. And now I'm married to you. And if he's not a complete asshole, he would have been like, all right, I get it. Yeah, but or, at the same time, during that time, it wasn't always 
accepted for women to do stuff like that. No, but this rumor seems to have existed prior to her marrying Lord Townsend, which makes me think he had to have known something about it. Oh, for sure. And he either didn't care or he cared, but he loved her enough that he got over it. Sure. Because no one forced him to marry her. And honestly, the earliest account I could find referencing how Dorothy died, other than smallpox, was a book in 1904 that mentions, quote, the ill-fated Dorothy who married Charles, the second V. Townsend, and who died tragically by falling down a staircase in 1727. Note that that date is incorrect. At Raynham. So not consistent. <laughs> uh, well, just... I looked high and low for any reference to these. It reminded me a little when we were talking about the Jersey Devil. Do you remember? And I know that was a long time ago. But, like, there's all this lore. But a lot of the lore has only existed for about 100 years. And when you trace the more, like, origins of the story, it doesn't reference any of it. You've got this ghost. But the more salacious stories don't start until the early 1900s. Spiritualism. Spiritualism. Exactly. And that's, that's sort of what I keep coming back to, is that we know Lord Townsend was real. We know Lady Dorothy was real. Records show she died of smallpox. That's probably true. The last concrete sighting was reported in the 1960s. There haven't really been any since, at least not public, but the house is not open to the public. So that might be part of it. Yeah. Uh, that being said, the brown lady is not the only spirit said to haunt Raynham Hall. Okay. The Duke of Monmouth is also said to haunt the property. Does he talk like that too? He does. <laughs> as well as a caretaker with his cocker spaniel. Oh, there's a cocker spaniel ghost? There's a cocker spaniel ghost and two children. Now, to be fair, I tried to find like anything about these other hauntings there's not a lot i i looked up the duke of monmouth because i was like why is this name ringing a bell uh and i i have to say as soon as his name popped up like officially on my mama google i was like oh it's that guy um and this story's too bonkers i have to go a little into it so apologies you're gonna get a little british history thrown at you nice so mid-1600s the united kingdom was a weird time um UK was like having some kind of shady history. I mean, all history is shady, but I was just going to say that. <laughs> you know, all history is shady, but like, okay, so not all Americans know there was this like 11 year period from 1649 to 1660 where the Brits abolished the monarchy, executed their king at the time, Charles I, and became the Commonwealth of England. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, it's great. Uh, this is a lot of this is actually stuff that I focused a lot on in grad school because we were looking very heavily at the theater during this time because it was a classical program. Um, so this is not a podcast about British history. I'm going to spare you some of the gory details. Ultimately, England was like, oh, OK, our bad. Maybe we shouldn't have done all that. They asked Charles's son, Charles II, to come back and rule. Charles II does, has a grand old time sleeping with Everybody. Everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone. Like, he had no legitimate children. He had a buttload of illegitimate children. Somewhere between 14 to 21 oh. illegitimate children. Jesus Christ. Okay. Among those illegitimate children 
was the Duke of Monmouth. Oh, get out. That's so funny. Are you still, so you're following yeah. this, right? I, this is a lot of no, like weird names and history and dates. Okay, so the Duke of Monmouth. <laughs> the only way I can say his name. Probably best known for trying to stage a rebellion in 1685 against James II, who was Charles II, that's Duke of Montmouth's father, uh, his illegitimate father. Uh, <laughs> that's how that works, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, it was his brother. So, like, his brother took the throne. Charles II's brother, James II, took the throne when so he died. So his uncle. His uncle. I want to stress the full history is so much more nuanced and rich than this very abridged version I'm giving you. But again, it's not a podcast on British history. Sorry. But also, it's so weird and interesting. Y'all, I love this period of British history. It's worth going down that rabbit hole because it's weird and funny and ridiculous. So Montmont's rebellion failed and he was captured. He was taken to the Tower of London. He is found guilty of treason. He is sentenced to death by beheading. And as the story goes, he's taken to the block. He begs the executioner to make sure it worked this time and worked the first time, like the first swing, because this particular executioner had had a number of not so successful executions. Oh, no. Which that sucks. Uh, It was not Maltmuth's lucky day because reports say it took between five to eight hits of the axe and the executioner had to finish getting the head separated with a knife. (gasps) Oh my God. Are you serious? Yeah. Like to get it all the way off, he had to just saw it off with a knife. Oh my God. (laughs) Which is like, it's not funny, but also it's super funny. I think what's, what makes it funny is specifically the fact that before he gets beheaded, he's like, Hey man, can you just make this quick and just do it once? And then it was like solid opposite. No. I think I, I see this conversation being like, oh, yeah, no, totally. I got your back. I got your back, man. I got your head. I, oh. Maybe. And then the first swing. After a few tries. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> so after uh, the first swing. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> it's oh, like that scene in Awesome Powers. <laughs> no, it is. It is. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Oh, God. There is a legend associated with him. Emphasis on legend. Uh, it was realized afterwards that, like, after he died, that a portrait hadn't been painted of him. Also, they just and painted this, of his head? This, oh, no. This was apparently a grievous oversight. The corpse was dug up and his <gasps> head was stitched onto his body so they could paint the portrait. And again, this is most likely not true. Like, he had at least two portraits that were painted before he died. But also, this is an awesome legend. And That's I such a great want story. It to be true. <laughs> but again, to your point, and this is how I'm circling this back to the brown lady, it's a great story. Yes. It's an awesome story. I also we want n- to see that portrait of a dead person with their head so Oh, to right? But the evidence... Evidence... Evidence. Shows us this probably wasn't true. Well, but shucks. in terms of but in terms of lore, it's so much more interesting and more fun and and more fun. It is so much more interesting and fun to think that the ghost that haunts Raynham Hall of the Brown Lady is this like grieved, bitter, vengeful spirit whose husband may have murdered her. Then this was like some chick who you know was happy and then maybe didn't have enough money and kind of wish she had like better titles and 
Yeah. Uh, there's another theory in regards to Lord Maltmuth. <clears throat> I love this guy. That's, ew, that, this guy says, for a ghost too that like never shows up in this, this hall, I love there's just this bonkers, bonkers history associated with him. Uh, one of the theories is that he was the man in the Iron Mask. What? Like the actual man in the Iron Mask, the never identified prisoner who was kept in a French prison for, I don't know, like 34 years. Like Leo. 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 <laughs> uh, this is, I don't know, that seems like a lot of work and it's most likely false. But uh, it's again, still, I love just all the weird things associated with the Duke of Montmouth. That's just like so far reaching. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess some, one of the theories was that James II. Because this is his nephew. Not that that stopped any British king. Hi, Richard III. Um, it was just like, oh, well, I know he tried to overthrow me from the crown and stuff. But, like, he's my nephew, guys. I don't want to just kill him. But he did. So, lots of uh, wax. Well, well, lots of wax. But that's where the theory that he had him spirited away to France to serve out a prison term there. Again, probably not true, but still fascinating. But like, okay, so how does he become associated with Raynham Hall? That's my question. Yeah, this was a hard one, and it required a lot of digging. Uh, I saw his name mentions a ghost. It seems to be kind of loose. So his dad was friends with Lord Townsend. One of the rooms in the hall is called the Monmouth Room because he apparently spent a night there. Okay. That's it? That's it. That's the story. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I don't know, like, he died and he was like, oh, this place seems kind of ghost-friendly. I don't want to stick around here. I just want to know if he's the type of ghost that just, like, carries around his head. You know what I mean? None of the reports have him being, like, a nearly headless lit Nick or a headless Nick kind of situation, which is kind of a bummer. I know, right? Missed um, opportunity. But, like, finding references to the sightings was even harder. I found a couple. I'm going to quote this 1936 Evening Standard article because it's funny. <laughs> The next person to sleep in the Maltmouth room was a connection of the Townsends, a spinster of uncertain age, who had led a small, smothered life devoid of romance. It fell to her to experience one glamorous night. She suddenly awoke one night to see the Red Cavaliers standing at the foot of her bed. I said that wrong, sorry. Cavalier. I have to go back and say at least that sentence. She suddenly awoke one night to see the Red Cavalier standing at the foot of her bed, smiling in a most encouraging manner. She told us afterwards that she was not in the least bit frightened, only happily interested. Ooh. Yeah, horny ghost. That's what it was. It was a horny ghost. So, like, no, like, that's the rep. This article is just all about how this poor spinster girl, which, P.S., I felt like I was being personally attacked in that article, um, went to sleep hoping this ghost would ravish her. Hey, man. To each their own. To each their own. Uh, Duke of Monmouth's ghost seemed to get around because he also supposedly haunts a battlefield in the UK that he fought on. Also, maybe Taunton Castle. So, wow. Well-traveled. It gets around in life, gets around in the afterlife. What can I say? Uh, The stone parlor is supposedly haunted by one of the children, ghosts I mentioned. One of the ghosts was seen by a German governess one afternoon. So I guess there was this woman visiting with her two children. 
uh, and the governess was like, hey, where's the third child? I saw the third child getting out of the car. <gasps> a little girl wearing a picture frock. Gabby, do you think there was a third child? There was no third child. There was just there a was creepy no, dead child. It was a creepy dead child. Or I don't know, like women wore big dresses then. It was just like part of another woman's dress. Who knows? <laughs> uh, October of 1935, Maud Fuchs, who would write a book of ghost stories, that one that I was talking about um, mm-hmm. that Lady Townsend contributed to. Mm-hmm. She references this ghost dog. She heard the sound of a ghost dog. Love a ghost dog. In the royal bedroom, the chairs in the room would be found rearranged around the table as though a group of people used the room. Huh. No word yet on if, like, a group of people, like, living people actually use the room. Because that could also happen. People just get lazy and forget to push their chairs in. It's just, like, a group of servants played poker one evening and they were like, hey, man. Uh, make sure to put the chairs back so nobody knows we were in here. And then when they forgot, they were like, oh, shit. It's a ghost. <laughs> it's a ghost. Seems convenient. Uh, it's, it's convenient. There's lots of sounds that are heard that would stop suddenly if someone went to investigate. Uh, normal ghostly shenanigans. So where does that leave us? Do I think there is a haunting at Raynham Hall? Or at least one? Absolutely. Do I believe even a fraction of what has been written about Dorothy? No, I do not. Uh, I actually question whether or not the brown lady is Dorothy. Partially because of her, she is sometimes described as an old lady. And like, girlfriend was like 40 when she died. Oh, rude. <laughs> yeah, no, extremely rude. Um, I also think it's interesting there is this gap between her death and the first sighting. And you could make the argument that she had a relative summoning her. But I don't know. Uh, I, I, for me, and I want to stress, this is just my own personal opinion. This is not based up, you know, there's no fact behind this. This is just Kim deducing things. Even if I suddenly popped up 60 years after I died, because one of my relatives was like, wouldn't it be a kick if I summoned Dorothy? Who's making me stick around for all these decades and centuries? Who said that someone has to make you stick around? Exactly. Like, okay, so I pop in, I scare everybody, and I go back. Um, There's, like, dozens of other women, too, who have lived in that home and who could be haunting the place. So it could be multiple female ghosts. Add to that, there's stories of Dorothy also haunting Houghton Hall, where she was born, this might be a case, and this has happened a number of times, of someone trying to really shoehorn a specific person into a haunting. Mm, yep. If you need further proof, look no further than this newspaper article I found from 1890. Quote, There is the gray lady of Raynham, spelled wrong, Lady Dorothy Wapple, who is said to have been forced to marry Lord Townsend in 1713 and who still walks. She doesn't run. Not only do they get the name of the ghost wrong, like gray lady, not brown. Yeah. They spell Raynham wrong. She said she was forced to marry Lord Townsend. Uh, there's no proof of that. Not true. Um, but this was, again, this was a newspaper. This was in the Bristol Mercury and uh, Daily Post. We talk about this all the time with older cases, the level of misinformation that is published in papers, that is passed on by people. It means the only method we have is to try to trace back sources and trace back the origins of stories. 
And if I can't find an origin or a source material to your story, my friends, I question the validity of your story. <laughs> That's fair. So where I land with the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall is it is absolutely haunted by at least one, if not more, female ghosts. And it could be Lady Dorothy. But I very much think her story has been kind of unfairly. Is it sort of sad to think if they actually had a happy marriage and this is how her story is talked about now? Man, that would bum me out. We just don't know, though, right? Like, we don't know. And that's, that's the then thing. that's just it. Yeah. But, but what, do you, what do you think? <clears throat> well, I tend these days to agree with you more often than not. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, but I, I think the photo is really compelling. And I think for people at the time, I could see why people would gravitate to believing oh, it more than absolutely. not. It's a fantastic picture. Even today, it packs a punch when you look for at sure. it. I got full body chills when I looked at it the yeah. first time. Just no, now. It, it, like, it is absolutely. And if you get, if you've never looked at it, we'll, we'll be posting post it, it to yeah. our Instagram. It'll be posted. We should post it maybe with the episode thing, just so people can see the reference okay. points. Yeah, we can do that. But uh, it's it's re- Google, you know, Brown Lady Random Hall or just Brown Lady. It'll pop up. Yeah, I feel like it's like it's really compelling. I think it depends on who you're talking to and what yes. you know. And obviously, we're going to give you as much information as possible because look who's researching this topic. So I think it's like this is the most this well-rounded example of, hey, here's this information. What are you going to do with it? Right. Like, but I, I go back to kind of agreeing with you about like, you, how, do you, how are you identifying this person? That it's this specific person. Like, Mm -hmm. I also don't doubt that it's haunted. It's probably haunted by multiple people. Honestly, I'm really sad there's no, like, headless dude walking around with a head in his arms. Like, that that would be be a really compelling photo. I want to say there's, is it, um, God, I went to the castle when I was in the UK in grad school. Like, we took a class trip there. There, one of the castles, Anne Boleyn, like, haunts it. And then, I can't remember if that's the one where she's holding her head. Anyway, there's definitely headless ghosts in the UK. Love that. Um, <laughs> missed opportunity here. Uh, but I think, you know, it's a very compelling story. It's fun. It's very mm-hmm. fun. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, like, love the fact that there's a family ghost. And maybe it's that. considered almost like a tradition if it's considered mm-hmm. a family ghost, right? Like, a telling of a story throughout history and like telling your kids this ghost story and their kids telling their kids and it just lives on Mm -hmm. pun intended but like what have we learned about stories that are passed on from person to person telephone telephone game um but it doesn't mean it's not fun and it doesn't mean there isn't a ghost we just don't know who it is we just know and it could be her and her story i mean we're never gonna know the exact circumstances of her story. I don't know. Short right. of them digging up her grave and testing and being like, hey, man, did you die of smallpox? Is your neck broken? Like, which that seems extreme. <laughs> I mean, I would want to do it because I'm that dick. But uh, <laughs> it's a great story, no matter what. For sure. I like it. Good job. Well done. Yeah. Fun one. <laughs> Listen. When I when I go when I go into a paranormal one, I go all in. Yes, you do. That's what she said. Um, 
And this brings us to... <laughs> I know you've been watching stuff. What you've been watching? I've been watching. I've been watching a fair bit of things. Uh, so uh, I attended. I've been attending some SIF screenings, which has been really cool. One at the time of this recording, this SIF International Film Festival is going on. I've also been prepping like mad for Crypticon because yeah. um, this episode will get released prior to Crypticon happening. Crypticon is happening for me this weekend, where I'm doing twelve panels because. Woo. That's what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> but no, I've been attending a number of, of screenings at SIF, uh, and I've seen some really great movies. The first one was a movie called Past Lives that will be, uh, this is not horror. This is is a kind of delightful, like, it's a romance. It's, it's very heartwarming. It's a character study. It's a drama. It's a little, it's comedic at times. Okay. Um, and it's semi-autobiographical biographical and the filmmaker is is delightful she was uh gave a a talk back after the screening but it's you you meet a woman who um had had uh kind of a uh like a child love so these these two 12 year olds uh in korea who you can tell you know in in the 12 year old fashion they're kind of they kind of like each other uh but her family is moving to canada okay so she moves away and they don't connect until 12 years later when they're both 24 and um find each other and start skyping and and talking on skype and at this point she is in living in new york city and trying to be a playwright and a writer and he is you know just like just out of the army in korea and studying to be an engineer and for a while it's this like lovely they're just spending all of their time over skype with each other and mm-hmm. they're but then you kind of have that realization that there's a time difference and and um you know, they live in other continents and the reality of that. And, and so the, the movie kind of explores, um, their relationship, their growth, their, I don't really want to say much more with it cause it would give some stuff away, but okay. it's, it's really lovely. It's just, it's full of heart. Uh, it's simple. It doesn't need to be flashy. It, for me, this was this was the the director. It's her feature film debut, but she's a a playwright, and it's very theatrical. To me, it was very theatrical, which I appreciate, and just really lovely. It's just a lovely film and very real and very human. Uh, it's going to be, I believe, screening nationwide starting in June, and so uh, check it out. It's cool. it's very very good. Uh, for a more not really horror bent, but definitely ghoulish tendencies appropriate. I also saw a movie called, it was a documentary called Satan Wants You. (gasps) What a great title. Great title. Also, this was the screening. I posted a picture of this on my Instagram uh, because this screening got, um, there was like some kind of protest happening. Oh, um, oh! I remember the picture that you're talking about because I remember yeah. seeing it. Because the Church of Satan was involved in the film, and at first, when I caught glimpses of them, I was like, "Are they protesting? Like, are they 
you know, Jesus-y? No, it was something to do with taxes and free speech. I don't know. Their signs were very busy. I have some notes on how you can protest better. But anyway, uh, <laughs> do you remember, you, you know, when I, like the satanic panic? Yes. Cool. Um, this documentary is going to that, but specifically looking at the book Michelle Remembers. Which is kind of the thing that kicked off the satanic panic. Uh, it was a book written by a woman named Michelle Smith and a Dr. Lawrence Pazder. And she had been in therapy with him and started remembering from when she was five that her mother had like turned her over to a cult of Satanists and all the abuse that she experienced at their hands. Dang. The documentary is fascinating. It was very well done. As as somebody who already has a, a fair bit of knowledge on the subject, I, I would have been, to me, this would have been wonderful as a miniseries because there's so many things I wish they would have gone into more depth about. Mm-hmm. But when you're limited and constrained by a, you know, <laughs> documentary time frame, you can't spend sure. six hours talking about a topic. Right. Uh, but it it goes very much into the relationship between Michelle and Lawrence, who would later marry, even though they were both married at the time. Oh, dang. Two other people. Uh, and, and kind of the phenomena of, of repressed memories and the satanic panic and how easy... I mean, again, it's, it's a modern-day witch hunt. Yeah. It was absolutely a modern-day witch hunt. It wouldn't be a bad topic to look into, but the, the documentary was, was a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. So those are just two of, of some of the things I have been watching. Cool. Um, Gabby, what, uh, what have you been watching? Uh, lots of trash TV, but also a lot of Netflix. I got caught up mm. on all the new Netflix things. Okay. So um, I watched Missing Dead or Alive. On Netflix. Oh, I've been, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been curious Which about that. Which is interesting because I, I really love the way Netflix does reality. I think they do mm-hmm. it in a really um, engaging way that mm-hmm. is very different and less like, I don't know, tacky, I guess is the best way sure. to put it. Sure, sure, than sure. Like yeah, yeah, other yeah. networks. Um, and this was a really interesting way of looking at like true crime and like understanding like missing cases of Mm -hmm. people that go missing from like everyday people, like to like a 15 year old that like their mom, like just took them and they didn't have custody and it not the greatest situation. And what I loved about it was all the, the main people working on the cases were women. And Mm. for the most part, there's this one dude that's just like, ooh, do not mess with this guy. He is so sassy. He, like, tells someone off on the phone for, like, I think a four-minute long, like, just narrative. Just, like, he's saying some shit to some guy on the phone. I'm just like, oh, oh, God, wow. This guy has, like, this job was so perfect for this dude. Uh, But, like, anyway, it's real. It's, like, I I mean, real. I I think it's real, but it's basically talking about actual cases and you follow each episode um, has different cases that are talked about within the episode that kind of stream into other um, episodes as well. And I thought that was, it was just a really interesting watch um, and a a neat perspective. And you really see the emotional connection that the investigators have to the cases when they're 
searching for someone and honestly like crossing their fingers that they find them alive um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to not and the impact it has on them and the families that they're working with. And it just gives a different perspective on the, I think the emotional level of, uh, of cases like this, where I think Mm -hmm. it's really Mm -hmm. easy to read about them and look at the facts and be like detached, but not really like understand what the people who are involved in solving them go through and the families go through in trying to figure out what's going on and how to help. Um, so I really liked it. I think you would probably be into it, too. Um, That was good. I also watched um, all of Queer Eye because I had to. Um, And it takes place in New Orleans, which I love dearly. And, oh, these stories, I cannot. Um, Bobby all of a sudden is a brunette. I love it. He is very well-groomed. They all are. Um, But truly... It's so heartwarming, this show. I don't need to tell you about Queer Eye. You guys know about Queer Eye. If you're listening to us, you, you've you seen Queer Eye. Um, but the new season is really good. Have you seen it yet? I don't. Uh, I watched, like, an episode when it first came on. It's not gone eh. super deep. I no. just think it's so, so heartwarming. No, no, no. It's really, I, I really watched wonderful. less, like, my, if I'm, if, I don't want to call it trash TV, but, like, if I need something that's no thinking I do a lot of like parks and recre ones, but that's fair. Uh, I'm I'm a little less into it's that a feel good though. Thing. You love a feel good moment, don't you? No, it, I I go for a different feel good. I mean, it's, it's just not like good. it's fine. I'm not offended by it, but it's 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 not really my cup of tea. The same that's way. Fair. Speaking yeah. of cups of tea, I watched the uh, Queen Charlotte series, the uh, Bridgerton. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. surprisingly sad. <laughs> Like, well, I mean, her the history of it said, yeah, it's like the real history, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it's a very, but it's told very well, um, yeah. but also in the same vein of Bridgerton. So, you know, pick, pick your poison. Uh, if it's something that you're into, watch it. I thought it was well done. I thought it was honestly like, I thought it was going to be kind of more tacky because I'm not using the right t- words right now. I'm tired. Tacky is not the right word. Uh, more, um, just like over the top based on how Bridgerton was, but it it hit more of an emotional, uh, well, it sounds like it has more, from what I've read on it, it has more depth. Yes, absolutely. It has more depth. Thank you. I can't use words right now. It's getting late. No, (laughs) No, my brain's turning off. Um, but yes, it does have more depth. It does show a really, um, well-developed character. Uh, Mm -hmm. which hasn't always happened in all of the other episodes or seasons of Bridgerton. Bridgerton, Uh, yeah. (laughs) And so I think it it kind of surprised me in the sense that it wasn't what I expected, but it was good. I liked it. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I've been watching. Um, Having said that, Thank you for listening. If you like what we do, uh, give us a shout out. Uh, Go over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, give a rating, review, say hi. We're on social medias. We like Um, it. You can tell us what, like, I'm, I always want to hear, like, what are things people want us to try covering? Yeah. Or join Patreon and just Mm. like, you know, and then you get to, you, then you get to tell us what to do. Exert control no matter what. (laughs) So, uh, check us out on Patreon, um, ghoulish tendencies. You'll be able to see some extra content that we provide for you on there, depending on the level of support that you choose. Um, and you know, keep doing what you do. Uh, tell us what you like about topics that you hear. And maybe if there's one that you haven't heard and you like, shoot us a message on Instagram. Um, but having said that, thank you for listening. And stay Stay.